This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. Great, uh, great excitement here tonight. We just had a new toaster delivered. A cool toaster? A toaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, actually. We ordered it at two o'clock this afternoon. Okay, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, so that's Argos. I, I guess that that's kind of their way of differentiating themselves and competing in what is a pretty, you know, it's like Amazon is just so good now. It's like you just click it and next day, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Now it's not so much next day, but yeah. in normal times it was next day. And you got to kind of got to think, well, Argos is basically that, except you have to drag yourself to the shop yep. um, unless you get them to deliver it, but then you don't have Prime and the free delivery. So they don't really have an awful lot going for them, really, in that sense, do they? Other than no. scratching that impulse itch, if you think, oh, I want it now, and Argos has got one, then jump in the car and go get it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of amazing. I wonder if that's normal, or if you've just managed to get a lucky delivery. Well, initially it said it will deliver it between 2 and 7, then Heather went to pay, and, I don't know, like something went wrong with her card, she used the wrong one or something, so she went back to redo it, and that slot had then gone, and it was between... 7 and 11, they said. So it could have been at okay. 5 to 11 tonight. Some, someone just knocks <laughs> on the door of a toaster. That would have been weird. But, um, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, pretty cool. I mean, I was expecting it to be sort of like, uh, you know how you kind of just get like independent people that deliver parcels for like bigger companies? Yeah. You just get like people in their like cars or small little vans that they, that they own. I kind of thought, well, it's got to be one of those, that kind of thing, you know? But no, like big Argos transit van, fully like labelled up and branded, pulls up outside, Argos man, full Argos <laughs> uniform and everything. It's like, wow, damn. That, that's <laughs> kind of cool. That sounds like somebody's so, looked at what's going on and gone, if we do this, this is really, really good for our brand. And we had to pay £4 for the uh, delivery, but £4 if we wanted it tomorrow or the next day, and it was like you can have it in less than six hours. I mean, we were in no rush for the toaster, but it was just kind of cool. We wanted to try it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Irresponsibly putting more strain on an already strained delivery network but you know well kind of not if it's their own delivery drivers i mean like okay yeah you're adding to their load but if that's outside of the regular delivery network it's not going through royal mail or anything like that you know or any of the major couriers yeah then you know that's um self-contained that's, that's kind of cool not bad is it I mean, I hear things, yeah. um, people that I know in like Manchester, bigger cities, they say, oh, you order stuff on Amazon and it will be here in like yeah, hours. And people have been like, oh, you yeah. can order ice cream on it and yeah, silly things like that. I never kind of thought I'd have that kind of thing around here. I mean, we're kind of in the back and beyond, really, um, in terms of like <laughs> everything. You know, um, you know, we were like the last to get broadband, much to my dismay. <laughs> um, it's yeah. Just, yeah, it just kind of struck me as odd that wow, we get stuff like that around here kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and that £4 delivery is probably less than your petrol there and back, if that's the case. Oh, yeah, blimey, easily. Yeah, yeah, by the time you've, you know, started the cold car, if it's not been started in ages, it takes more fuel, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Because it's, it's been sat on the driveway for for ages now. It's probably, um, like, go for little joy rides in it or something, but it just doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely want to uh, turn the engine over and give it a run around. It's, um, well, I mean, it goes out once a week. Right. So we do um, the Tesco shop in it, like the, the big shop, once a week. 
Um, so that's, I guess, what, a 25-mile round trip yeah, that, to do that? That would so be enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I don't really know a lot about cars, to be quite honest with you, to know whether that's right or wrong, but it feels like it should be enough. I think that's um, enough because you would certainly then know whether it was degrading because once a week you're going out and using it, so you would, you'd find it hard to start or whatever, like if it was sort of starting to get really, really bad. Again, that's another way of thing, talking about like how retail is pivoting, like Tesco, the way we do that now. Initially, I, I you know, as soon as lockdown was on, you know, Boris came on the telly, told us we all had to stay, stay at home. So it's like, fine, best get on, do a Tesco.com order. And, you know, they bring it around to you in the van. Yeah. And yeah, like weeks, weeks and weeks, you couldn't get a, a slot for Walked weeks. right out. Yeah. Although my grandparents got one because they prioritised them, which I thought was nice. That was quite That's cool. That's decent. Thing. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but what they also do is click and collect. Yep. Which is quite cool. So yeah, I put in an order today and I'll go down there tomorrow pull up outside their little garage thing they got signs up do not get out of your car please don't try and help us it's fine like we'll do everything right and they open your boot chuck it all in and sort of close the boot tap tap on the roof thanks mate you're all done and off you go <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool crikey that's good yeah uh, all of this is sounding really um not quite alien because obviously new zealand's been in its own lockdown and everything but We've been out of lockdown now for a little while. Um, we've, we've been on, in our level two alert, uh, I think, for... It's got to be getting on for 10 days. Uh, again, time still has no meaning at the moment. Stuff is still blurring to some degree. <laughs> but um, so what, what that's meant is we've got, had a lot more freedom sort of come back and, you know, we, we were able to to go and do some quite normal things. So, yeah, hearing about how lockdown sort of this side of stuff is in the uk yeah it's it's not quite like that here now which is is great um but it's still kind of weird it sort of feel, feels a bit like we're um we're now out of sync with other places to some degree i mean as a country you've done so well like it i can't quite believe it yeah i really can't believe it like our local hospital i've said this before our local hospital and like again we're in you know the back end of nowhere I've had more deaths in that one hospital than you've had in the whole country. I mean, every one is as tragic as the yeah. last, but it's like, wow. <laughs> How have you done that? Yeah, we, we, we've we taken... Uh, it's it's full advantage of, of the uh, logistics, I think, that New Zealand has. If you sort of think about it, we're as far away from anything as it's almost possible to, to get in terms of travel routes. Uh, we shut down... The borders relatively compared to anywhere else relatively quickly um and we imposed things like self-isolation um before we closed down the borders as well so people returning were having to isolate for for two weeks um and that was being i think probably fairly loosely policed but there was that that definitely that um implication that you needed to do it because it was going to be checked up on so that happened, and then we eventually started kind of quarantining people at the borders and putting them up in a hotel and, and keeping track of where everybody was as well. So we, we, we closed the borders early, and I think that was the big deal. Um, and then beyond that, the lockdown itself was very, very clearly communicated, um, and it was the, the strictest lockdown 
the soonest. Whereas I think other countries have kind of pussyfooted around it a little bit and kind of gone, you know, we'll, we'll do this. Oh no, hang on, this isn't working. We need need some more measures and sort of you know toot and froed with things a little bit too much. Whereas here we sort of went right. We're in no alert system because we hadn't had it described to being told that the measures put in place were effectively level two to then being told we were going to level three for a couple of days and then it was level four after that so we moved very very quickly into that that level four being the the, the strongest lockdown um and i think that's done the trick really well um yeah yeah and i, I mean if you think it through in terms of um how a virus works how something that is highly contagious works uh that's to me it just stands to reason you know if you want to stop a virus cutting through the population you have to stop people from moving around and transmitting the virus um and that means things like heavy lockdowns and that sort of thing and so yeah if i add up everything we did um that essentially what we did is we we stopped it in its tracks you know, quite literally by stopping people's movements and by by shutting down the borders in that way um i mean like we we made the news this week on the bbc news app which is always a big deal okay <laughs> when you see your own home well not my hometown but my home area yep in the in the news app just the 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 roads into Woolacombe, which is like quite a nice beach and town yeah really nice place basically yeah um apparently the roads to it were just gridlocked um just because people all of a sudden were like i think it was was it wednesday that we were told we could go out again or something um and yeah people just went crazy and people from away like police were apparently running like you know they scan number plates and that um all these people from away that had come and it's just like oh no is it within the letter of the law but I don't think that's really within the spirit of the law if that makes no. sense um, there's people just parking anywhere they wanted blocking emergency services vehicles that would have needed to have gotten through it's just crazy apparently the traffic wardens and the police ran out of the yellow stickers they use for the parking stickers oh, parking fines <laughs> because they were just fining everybody just like if you parked anywhere that wasn't a car park you were getting a fine basically um yeah, it's really, really bizarre. Apparently one guy, I think it was from around here, I'm not entirely sure though, but one guy, um, a farmer, in his tractor, he was um, spraying slurry on a field, because that's what he has to do, you know, it's his job. Yeah. And then there's this uh, this car parked in his field, so he's there driving along, filming it, and he's got his little kid in the tractor cab with him, saying something like, well, I'm nearly finished me, uh, my, my slurry in, I'm not going to stop just because that car's parked there. (laughs) He just goes right past his car and just coats it in slurry. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay, that's good. That's good. And of course, like now everyone's like, we need to identify this farmer. And like, everyone's like, he's getting free beers for life. (laughs) Oh, it's like quite a nice car. It's like a Mercedes, I think, or something. It's like it had been rained down upon (laughs) in slurry. I kind of feel there's a big sense of justice in that. Shit, shit, hang on. We're having an earthquake. (laughs) You okay? (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 we're all good. That was a 5.9 earthquake 
How do you know that already? Because of GeoNet, which updates us very quickly and gives me push notifications and stuff. 5.9, that sounds big. That was big, and that is 30 kilometres northwest of Levin, which is not far away from me. That is probably about 80, 90 kilometres away. Hmm, that was a bit of excitement for a Monday morning. <laughs> uh, we better get uh, get into the show before I run out of time to to talk because if we have another aftershock, I could be could be gone. Okay, so this week, Dave, there was a huge rumor um, that went around from John Prosser. Um, about AR glasses coming from Apple and a little bit of a vision as to what they might be and what they look like, um, just in terms of, of how the technology would work. I think there's a few um, a few different uh, analysts that are kind of slightly debunking that rumour now, um, and it's kind of gone through the mill a bit as to, to how accurate it is or isn't. I also kind of feel personally after watching uh, Prosser for the first time, because I don't really do YouTube, kind of feel like his approach to it was uh, obviously quite glory-seeking. So I'm, I'm kind of inclined to sort of take it with a huge grain of salt. But the the, the rumour as a whole about the AR glasses, I found quite exciting, actually. It certainly sparked up um, a whole load of ideas for me in terms of uh, of what that would be if any of that was was close to being accurate um, and, and the type of uh, applications I could be looking to develop for such a, de- a device. Um, it's it's kind of reignited my AR um, enthusiasm, if you like. Yeah, it kind of feels like a sleeping giant, doesn't it? The whole AR thing. Yeah. Because we're getting hardware in the form of, well, I guess you could, date it all the way back to was it the iphone 7 that had the dual cameras on the back that sort of started the whole like approximating depth and things like that yeah so if you sort of think about it yeah. it's kind of started there really and um, then we went that to, started with the um with the 7 plus with the dual cameras that's right yes on the back of it there yep um, and we we received a an api in av foundation for for the depth data itself mm. Um, which I think was limited to photographs at that point. Yeah, but then we went to we got True Depth on the front, didn't we? Obviously, for Face ID, and yep. now we're getting lidar sensors. And every time I see this, and every time we see like a demo at WWDC, where like I don't know, there was one demo where people were holding up iPads at a table and they were playing some kind of throw a ball at a pile of wooden bricks game or something like that. I, I've always felt a bit like, yeah, it's cool, but. This isn't why this is here. It, this is this is all about those glasses. Yeah, you know there might be some limited applications you can do with it on an iPad or an iPhone with lidar on the back, but really, really, it's about the glasses. And you know when they come out of those glasses, guess what? We all know how to use all the APIs and all the sensors, and we're familiar with it all, so we can sort of yep. hit the ground running, as it were. Those glasses could could change a lot, a lot, a lot. Yes, and it might be the first gen ones are a bit like the Apple Watch in that the first gen Apple Watch was a little bit, you know, wasn't quite there, was it? In in a few ways, and it took a few generations no. to sort of get the low hanging fruit of all the stuff that people were like, "Why doesn't it do this?" And the Apple mm-hmm. Watch now is in a good place, so I feel like probably the glasses are going to have to go on that same journey. I think you're absolutely right, and I think that um, 
that was one part of the rumor for me that um, I think is going to bear out to be to be true to be confirmed, um, and that was quite crucially that these glasses would be tethered to an iPhone. Okay, so they they can't run independently, um, and that um, there's a whole bunch of other other things within the rumor, like they would not include a camera on the front of them. Um, they may have a lidar sensor. They would have a lidar sensor for um, for depth and for positioning and being able to sort of do what it does in terms of AR, but the, specifically no camera. And I think the angle for that was um, to reduce people's privacy concerns, but also, I guess, around its actual power as a device and its its kind of lack of it, and in terms of the um, the positioning of the price. Um, and the positioning of it needing an iPhone, you know, if it's got a camera on the front, well, that negates some of how you use the camera on your iPhone. So I can kind of see like this, this, this vision sort of coming through of, like you say, something that is very, very reminiscent of the first Apple Watch. Um, I hope not quite as underpowered as, as that sort of turned <laughs> out to be. <laughs> um, but, um, I think in terms of needing the the phone and that sort of interplay, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think that's that's going to be how this is looking for the first version, yeah, and probably for quite a few versions actually. Uh, th- there's a thing at the core of this, which is that um, I think the the more powerful something like a, a set of AR glasses and or a headset of some sort becomes, um, and the more wearable and integrated it becomes you know if this just looks like an, a, a normal set of glasses to some degree but it's actually providing you with all of the the ui kind of input that you you would need in terms of, of seeing you know applications and everything is there a point at which that the phone kind of becomes unnecessary you don't need its screen because you've got the lens and is there a tipping point where a device like the watch starts to become powerful enough? Like not yet, but you know, down the line, is there a tipping point where the watch becomes powerful enough to drive it, and then all of a sudden the phone is out of the mix? In terms of power, I think probably we might get there. It's more for input. Sure, you could probably get the power of what we are now A13 uh, chips. Mm-hmm. On an infinite time scale, then yeah, sure, of course the glasses could have that level of power, and so could a watch. But doesn't seem unimaginable for sort of 10, 20 years out. Yeah, and the progress they're making on those A-chips are, is amazing. Um, hence, we're now looking at our Macs and all that sort of stuff. We're now at that level where they're, they're contenders to the likes of Intel. So it doesn't, yeah, I don't pause for a second to think that they could power glasses to that level. But it's like, how do you get data into apps and things like that? Um, like yeah. Messaging, that sort of thing, you know? still kind of feels to me yep. like the phone is going to be needed just for its form factor, not necessarily its power. And I don't know how to get around that, <laughs> which is just as well that Apple are doing it and I'm not. But um, yeah, I guess speech, I suppose, yeah. would be the, the obvious one. But then you don't want speech for everything. I mean, nobody wants to dictate their private messages on the bus. Exactly. Really? Yeah. So I wonder, I, I, I mean, like all of that, you know, kind of sums up to me to say, yes, the phone and the, the lenses themselves on day one are going to definitely be, be connected together. Um, they're going to rely on each other. 
to, to, to bring that experience. And I think that's probably going to be the case for quite some time. You know, that tipping point, if there is one where another device can take over driving it or it can work independently or whatever, I think that'll take a while to come. Um, but I find it interesting, you know, like, is there a, a, a potential here for the phone to be um, not quite deprecated? But sort Cannibalized. of... Yeah, yeah, slightly. But day one, it's. I don't think it's going to look like that. It could almost enhance the phone... Because I picture like how I, you know, you just sit looking at the phone, don't you? You've got the phone in your hand, and all you see is what that phone can show you. But if you've got glasses yep. that know where the phone is, and they know what's on the phone screen, yep. would it be possible to sort of make the phone bigger without the phone needing to be bigger physically? Potentially, yeah. Yeah, you could have a situation where the, the UI pops out from it, yeah. you know, and is bigger virtually but you're still able to scroll because you can hold it and you can swipe downwards. And yeah, um, there's a, there's a whole load of things that could be done there. Like, you know, I, I, I like a tweet and some sort of animation pops out of the interface in that AR layer. You know, lots of little bells and whistles and tweaks and feedback that just give things a little bit extra, but without really changing the primary way you're integrate, you're in, interacting with it. Yeah, so imagine you start like a YouTube video on your phone and you think, actually, I'd like this bigger. You could almost flick up on the video and that video then sort of turns into like a 3D object within the AR space and sort of expands in front of you almost in like an augmented television or something. Yeah. And when you're done, you can sort of swipe it down and back it sort of, you know, genie effect into your phone. Um, Into the phone. I don't know. I think the two could play really cleverly together in, in that sense. Yeah, and the watch as well. Yeah, totally. To some degree, like there's a whole point of there where, you know, maybe something, maybe the watch is an anchor point of some sort. And, you know, that then means you've got things sort of popping out from your, from your wrist and you use that, that rotation of the watch in the, in the line of sight of the glasses then becomes a way to position something that you can control from your, your wrist. Um, which, you know, given certain circumstances, could be something that you'd want you know to be able to to sort of control things happening in in that um in, in that layer that's overlaid because um, i think that's going to be the the uh tricky thing and the interesting thing is that i think the way you interact with things in that space is probably going to be the hardest thing that they need to crack you know, whether it's kind of from, from gestures in front of the device with your hands or, um, like you say, flicking things off the phone. You know, I think there's going to be a combination of different ways to to get input, um, to control things in that space. Uh, and, and that's probably going to be something that, that kind of varies in the first year or two as it sort of settles down and settles in. Um, and again, the watch has been through that kind of settling in as well. You know, I would argue that like um, the discover discoverability of forced touch on the watch is kind of not really there. <laughs> oh, <You man. laughs> I got so many one star reviews for that. Yeah, and it was highly pushed at the beginning. It was seen as being this way of of kind of getting more interaction with the watch, and I don't think it's really borne out. You know, I know it's there and I can use it for certain things, but 
it's not my primary way of navigating the watch. It's, for me, that's going to be quite interesting to sort of see how that shakes out. Uh, I think some some ways of interacting with it are going to depend on they're going to depend on what you're doing, and they're going to depend on where you're doing it. And I also think this is a it's a type of UI where an interaction where um, like movement of the user is going to be quite crucial as well. So certain things are okay if you're sat sat down or they or they work if you're stood still. But then as soon as you're kind of walking down a, a busy street and there's all these other things coming and going on around you from the real world, does that then kind of disrupt certain ways of interacting with, with the AR layer on top? You know, how do we make that kind of seamless and sort of feel natural? what things are natural to do when you've kind of got the space to do so and really unnatural to do when you're like say you're hemmed in on a bus or whatever the interaction is you know i kind of feel like there's going to be a bit of shaking out of of that sort of trade-off as well uh which you know people do on their phones people walk down the street using their their phone with one hand whilst navigating a street or whatever i just sort of feel like this is going to illuminate a whole other way of interacting with the device with with that layer that um it's going to take some time to figure out really when are we expecting them 2021 yeah and then out but it's all very very murky really do like an apple watch Um, thing where they announce it months in advance wasn't the apple watch announced at the september event but then it didn't ship till the following april or something like that something like that yes i do remember it being kind of march april time yeah so yeah i mean like um yeah, just looking down one of the Matt Rumors pages on this and um, is it Mark German was suggesting that it was um, a device that is planned to be announced as early as 2021, delayed from 2020 and released in 2022. So there's, there's definitely a timeline of like something visible next year, but not in your hands potentially until early, I guess, the year after. So it's a while yet. I can't wait. Um, and a lot could change in that time. <laughs> I really can't wait. I just want to be able to watch a video on those glasses because I'm watching like a lot of YouTube and things like that. Like this evening, like before the boys go to bed, they watch like a couple of episodes of some like, it's called like number blocks. It's like a kid's thing which teaches them numbers. And yeah, while they're watching that, like they were both sort of sat there with Heather and I was just sat on the sofa looking at my phone watching youtube i mean imagine how cool it would have been mm-hmm. to have those glasses on and to have had like a youtube video playing almost as if it was on a 70 inch tv right in front of me yeah ah, that would have been so much nicer to just be able to tap into it yeah, yeah. and just sit there in complete yeah. comfort and feel like i'm watching a tv that isn't really there that'd be amazing yeah <laughs> that's the only feature i want if they show me that feature i'm sold they could do all the, probably like... You're the, absolutely so. Those are like yeah. fitness stuff and GPS. Like, yeah, whatever. Just give me the TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be the case for a lot of people. That sort of, um, yeah, just being able to have a, a display of almost any size to some degree. Um, yeah, okay, you get YouTube from that. There may be ways of working with this sort of stuff as well. You know, it does... If I've got this layer, my phone is powerful enough to to do all of this extra stuff does this then mean i can link it up and see um it, does it work with my mac 
in some way, you know. It could be a monitor, couldn't it? Come on. It could be a monitor. It could also enhance a monitor. You know, maybe that's how things start to begin with. So I've got my monitor, I've got my regular setup, but I've then got notifications and things have actually moved off of that monitor and they're in the AR layer when I'm sat at my Mac. That sort of thing, you know, like, so they, they can, instead of seeing a notification from top right or wherever, it's actually above the monitor. Yeah. You know, and I've then got that whole screen to sort of use in in a slightly more dedicated to the the workspace kind of way and all this kind of um secondary stuff could shift into the layer somehow. It's going to challenge so many preconceptions, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's kind of what I love about it. 